Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of the Lord. So it gives me a great thrill that we're doing two series at once today. Just an efficiency thing. We're continuing our power awareness series with the power of prayer, and we are continuing our prayer series, which happens about once a month. Um, and we're putting those together as we talk about the power of prayer. And, and we're using a very familiar passage today. Um, and to connect with that, first I want to ask you this. Do you remember that sermon I did just over, I don't know how long ago, probably two years ago actually, with Pastor Peter Cranenberg, and we sat in chairs and we talked. You remember that, right? I know, because I hear about that. What were we talking about? Sovereignty of God, excellent. Yeah. And I say that for that very reason, and that's okay. Um, I don't remember what I preached on two weeks ago, so don't be blaming me if, right? I, I get that. So I remember that in my first congregation, before I got there, so this would have been the early 90s, a preacher who I think then went on to become a, a Calvin Seminary professor preached on the armor of God. And the entire time I was there, which is nine years, people always talk to me about the sermon that Pastor So-and-so did on the armor of God. And after a while, I started to ask, what did he say? And they say, well, he dressed up this mannequin in all these pieces, and he talked about the armor of God. And I said, but... But what did he teach you? Yeah, but he had this mannequin. It was so memorable because he had this mannequin. And that struck me. And I don't know what to do about that because it doesn't mean we shouldn't have illustrations because they help you listen and learn, right? But there's something about this cool image that may or may not help us understand what exactly is going on here. And that's what I want to lean into today. And if you've heard me often enough, you know I'm going to do this a little bit differently than you're expecting because... It's kind of what I do, I guess. So, armor of God. I'm giving away the answer there in the parentheses, but if I were to ask you which of those three words is the most important word, how many of you would have said of? No, right? Because God 
Can't go wrong saying God's important. The armor seems to be the topic here. But this little word of is really important. Let me read the verse first, and then we'll figure that out. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So, of can be used many ways. Everything was claiming to be a uh, music nerd. I'm just glad she was finally admitting that. <laughs> I'm a bit of a language geek. I love doing things with words. And so this word of here, think of it this way. Let's not talk about the armor of God. Let's pretend we're going to talk about the armor of Eric. All right? So if we were talking about the armor of Eric, you would assume that's armor that I own and I possess and I wear. Correct? We think of as ownership. What if I said armor of steel? Would we think that there's somebody out there named Steel who owns also armor? Or would we think probably that armor was made of steel? It both, both of those work, right? So here in this passage, is God the actual armor himself? Are we arming ourselves with God? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Arm yourselves with God. Or are we putting on armor that God has given us that is external to ourselves and we're dressing in it and we're wearing it? They both work. I want to suggest that we at least think of both of them, recognizing that we usually go towards the one, right? We go towards, I'm going to put this on, I'm going to wear it, and I'm going to fight using this armor that I've put on. But how about this? It's actually not about getting dressed, nor is it about fighting. Any passage in the New Testament that I found, and trust me, I have looked for them, that talks about clothing or dressing or putting something on is never talking about clothing or actual things that you're supposed to put on. That's not a huge stretch, right? You probably all know, since none of you are coming here with a breastplate of righteousness on, none of you are wearing helmets, right, that this is an analogy. And I want to add to that by suggesting that the fighting part is also an analogy. So this is not about getting dressed, nor is it about fighting. And I say that because we need to be very cautious about the battle imagery in the Bible, because sometimes we take that to mean that we're in a fight, and then we get a little bit lost into our, all the things that this passage is going to talk about. So I'm just making it clear that both of these things are an analogy, not just the armor part. All right? All right, so there's four or five things I think we need to know from this passage. First is, know who your enemy is. And this is hugely vital, by the way, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Touch the person beside you if you dare, or if you're comfortable, or if that's allowed for you, and notice that's flesh and blood. Whoever they are, they are not your enemy. And anybody who feels like them, that is human, is not your enemy. That's obvious in words. Let's be honest, it's also really hard in practice. Right? So now think of that person who's on the other side of the political arguments that you like to be in, or the religious arguments that you like to be, or just annoys you in some other way, your enemy. And recognize that God is saying to you, does everyone have that person in their mind? I have that person in my mind, right? You'll be glad to know it's none of you. That that person in the flesh 
and with their blood flowing through the body is not your enemy. That's not who your struggle is with, right? And that's hard for us to hang on to because we like to vilify the other team. It's actually a lot of fun. It gets your adrenaline going, right? It helps you know what team you're on, right? It gives you energy, and then you can talk with other people about how that person's wrong and you're right and so on. Your struggle is not with them. It's actually the most annoying part of the gospel. Because right at that point, you're being asked to look right back at yourself and recognize the struggle that you have is most likely inside of you. One more ad for faith walking, which I'm taking a part in, and a few of you are now taking a part in as well. It's all about recognizing whatever's going on for me, whatever my battles are and struggles are in my mind, they're usually something to do with the rest of this passage. The rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And since we don't usually talk in that language, let me unpack that a little bit for you. Because it's pretty easy to jump from, well, our struggle's not against flesh and blood, it's against rulers and authorities. It's, of course, Justin Trudeau's fault. No, he's flesh and blood. Hate to break it to you. Right? He's flesh and blood. Pick any ruler, any person in authority, right? Your battle is not actually with them. You probably all know this, that the F. Trudeau flags are not helpful in a Christian context, right? It's not about Trudeau. You can totally be against liberals and policies and all those kinds of things, right? But recognize that taking shots at an actual human being is directly against what we're taught to do, because our battle is not against flesh and blood. So when we quote that, let's also live that as deeply as we can, because it's hard. Those people who oppose you, it's easier to box them over there as them, right? But they're flesh and blood. They're part of this struggle that we have. And I hate to break it to you, you're a whole lot like that exact person that you struggle with. That's the deal, because our battle is against, and I think rulers and authorities, by the way, are parallels to powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of the of evil in the heavenly realms. They mean the same thing. So what our battle is, is against the fact that there's an evil influence in every single human being. That's why we keep thinking it's flesh and blood because the evil keeps influencing flesh and blood people to do wrong things. But our battle is actually against that which has infected them. And if we're paying close attention to ourselves, the exact same thing that has infected us. That's why you work on how have these spiritual forces infected my life such that I want to hate people and be angry at them, for example, right? And that is where my battle lies. Know your enemy. It's not other people. It's the negative, evil brokenness that infects our world, including ourselves. Second, know your stance. Looks a little obvious in this one, especially when I say stance, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Anyone get it? That was maybe 10 seconds, by the way. It's really annoying, isn't it, when there's no words? I'm just standing here. Don't just do something, stand there. How many of you were raised on the other version of that one? Don't just stand there, do something, right? How many of us think church is about doing something, right? And life is about getting something done. Paul's saying, since 
what we're trying to accomplish isn't about all those other people you're doing stuff to or with, since that's not the struggle. Start by stopping. Just stand. Just stand there. This is about meditation, quiet time, devotion. And let's be honest, when we do devotion, we try to accomplish something, don't we? Right? We've got to read enough. We've got to do something to be devoted to God. Or just stand. Or just be still. I don't know if I, how many of you I've told, but I've been on a number of silent retreats and uh, often had a um, spiritual director. And uh, as a true Dutch Calvinist, I said to her on the second day, am I doing this right? Am I doing enough? And she said, you Calvinists. <laughs> You and your work ethic. You and your trying to earn your salvation. She didn't say all those. That's what it meant, right? I understood that implicitly. I could not just be still and think I was doing the right thing for God. And this passage, with all of its armor and dressing up and warfare kind of language, says, and here's how you fight. Just stand there. Be quiet. Pause. Wait. Let God be God he is. Know your stance. Know what you're wearing. Notice first, I am not going to talk about any of the parts of the armor. It's okay if you want to and if you know things. So I went through this little catalog in my head. I have preached on this passage before, and I'm quite sure that I quite eloquently connected each of these words with the piece of armor and why they're connected and so on, and I bet there's others who can do it. I can't remember a word of it. And so I checked with a couple of my colleagues, and I asked them, what have you done with the armor of God? And they've told me their version, and none of them are the same. And if you read commentaries, you'll get a whole bunch of different versions. So we can tell you that the shield of faith extinguishes arrows because chances are a shield in the day when Paul was writing this was a large, wet piece of wood, right? And so if an arrow went into that, it would extinguish. Cool. But how does that connect with these words? Right, so it's a cool analogy, and run with it. But I want to lean on these words, because I don't want you to remember shield, of fit, shield. I don't want you to remember helmet. I actually want you to remember truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation. You're wearing truth. No wonder he used an analogy, right? What does truth look like when you wear it? Apparently it's a belt. You're wearing truth. You are clothed in the fact that God loves you, and you are clothed in the fact that that love causes you to love him and shapes you to love others. So dress up, as the New Testament says over and over again, in love so that people see you, see love when they see you, because that's what you're dressed in. We're dressed in righteousness. Listening a lot to Tim Mackey lately when he talks about righteousness, he says, how many of you use the word righteousness in any conversation at work? Unless you're talking to another Christian about righteousness, right? What is this crazy righteousness? And I love his little definition, so I'm going to give him credit. It's doing right by. So God is righteous because he does right by us. He does right by us in that both when we do something wrong, there's punishment, there's consequences. Because all of us know that if somebody else does something wrong to us and there's no consequences, that really hurts, and that's not right. 
or righteous. But at the same time, as God does right by us by making there be consequences for things we do wrong, he at the same time does right by us in that he loves us, and so he's going to make sure we flourish. And this is the beautiful mystery of the gospel, that God in Jesus Christ both did right by us, there was punishment, and did right by us, there was grace and redemption and restoration, right? And we now wear that. Right? And that both means that we get to walk around going, you know what? I've been made right with God. That's my identity. I'm in Christ. And we get to walk around doing right by other people, doing righteousness, restoring relationships, both with the recognition there's got to be punishment and there's got to be grace. Those two things go together. And my screen went away. All right. Oh, thank you. No, please stay. And peace. We carry peace. I don't think every time people see me, they see peace. But I'd like to see, think that sometimes I look like I'm clothed in peace, that I am a peace bearer. I'm a person of peace. I'm a person that if you come to me, I will help you find peace. I'm clothed in faith. And here sometimes we get mixed up between the faith, the things we believe, which are good and true, but more importantly, faith is actually that trust, right? Sometimes I think, particularly as an intellectual tradition that prides itself on theology, we sometimes think we're saved by believing our beliefs. We're actually saved by trusting God. And our beliefs that we believe shape how we trust in God, but the trust in God is the actual clothing that you wear. That's, that's the, the way you look. When people see you, there should be something about you that makes some sense. Well, this person's, they won't say it this way, of course. This person's clothed in faith. They, they trust somebody, right? Because even though life is really messy and, and there's lots of screwy things going on, they seem to have this rock-solid place where they stand that points to someone stronger in front of them. And we're dressed in salvation. We're clothed in Christ. That's what this whole thing's about being dressed in the fact that God himself is with you. He's your rock and your salvation. He's your shield. He's your strength. All those Old Testament psalm words, right? And he is your armor, right? Rest and stand in him, right? I, I love the image of David in the Old Testament. You remember when he was going to fight Goliath and then Saul came and put all his huge armor on him. That's how I look at this. This is God putting all of his armor on us and we're going, I can't move. And he's going, perfect, because now you can't walk either. Just stand there. Just stand there, overwhelmed and weighed down by the fact that I have covered you in all of this stuff, and you'll be safe. I didn't want you to fight anyways, because I was going to do it for you, just like I did for David. Right? Just stand and know that you are in all these and so many other beautiful things. Know what you're wearing. And then, know what you carry, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, I don't know about you, but at this point I go, oh good, finally, I get to do something. I get to wield the sword. Please don't. Please don't. At least not if for you, wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is weaponizing Scripture so that you can get people with that right answer, that meaningful quote, right? There's a really good course going on on Tuesday nights right now about how to read the Bible. And nowhere in there, I hope, is that guy saying, you can use the Bible to get people, poke them with the word and the truth. 
Because usually when we do that, we're going to take a little line, that's all we got time for, and hit them with it. But we're learning and we recognize this is a whole long story of relationship, right? And that if I don't know you, and I poke you with a line of scripture and you're going, one, where did you get that from? I never heard of this book. And two, who are you to say that to me? We've missed the whole story, which is God loves us so much that he came into our lives to tell us these truths. So yes, stand there and embody God, right? Put on the full armor of having God covering you completely, and you'll have the word, because that's what's going to shape your understanding of all these cool words we're talking about. But stand. And as you know that scripture, as you meditate on it, it's going to shape your understanding of yourself, because you know and you remember this person, they're not also the object of my little battle here. I'm not swinging my sword at them, even if it is the scriptures. I'm sharing with them the fact that those scriptures live inside of me. I'm embodying them like Jesus did. I am the incarnate word with Jesus, living out what he called us to do. So yes, you have a sword, but it's not for swinging. It's to help you when you stand there to know what you stand on, right? And the word of God, Hebrews 4, is a sharp, double-edged sword nicking bones from marrow. That's pretty delicate surgery. It's a scalpel. It is, and it will find a way to do that. And it may do that through your voice, but not when you use it as a weapon, not when you think you're supposed to swing it, right? Let it shape you and guide you and fill you and overflow from you. But in this culture, that'll probably happen in other words than a quote. It'll happen in your life and the way you carry it. Know what you carry. Finally, know your role. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That's subtle. Pray. That's your job. Pray. While you're standing there, recognizing that you're covered in all God's good stuff and that the real battle is for your own soul and for the same issues going on in you that are going on in other people, as you realize all of those things, talk to God. He's right there with you. He's there in his spirit. Have that conversation with him that allows him to feed your soul through his word and to bless you with his incredible love for you. Let that wash over you. Pray. Be in conversation with God. Let him work on who you are and how you stand and all those kind of wonderful things. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray and pray and pray and pray. So it's really a simple passage. Stand, stand, stand. Pray, pray, pray. Man, I should have just said that. We would have been done in no time, right? That's really what it says. That's the final fun little point. That pray also for me is Paul saying, pray for me that I can preach the word and do it fearlessly and do it appropriately. And this is for fun. Next to nice shirt, Pastor Eric, the best comment you can ever make on a sermon is, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. That was a good sermon, I think, but I'm praying for you. No, that did not work at all. You didn't. Okay, just forget I even said any of that stuff. You know, sometimes it works really well in my head and nowhere else. Looks like this.
by summary. Sure, there are wildly challenging things going on inside, of course, and beyond what we can see. There's spiritual forces. There's all kinds of stuff going on. But immerse yourself in God and everything that he offers and be still in him, also known as pray. Today, at the end of the service, there will be a few of us standing up front here with name tags like this on. Come forward for prayer then. There was a prayer walk yesterday. There's prayer events all the time. You can call us on a regular basis. You can call your elders, your deacons, your pastors, your staff, and ask us to pray. Right? This is part of our language of standing together. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have indeed clothed us in yourself. Thank you, God, that you cover us in all the powerful, wonderful, beautiful ways that you do. Thank you, Spirit, that you fill us and that you even pray for us, that you intercede with sighs too deep for words. And so we pray that we may simply stand in your truth and in all that you have to offer us, that we may be people who pray and pray and pray as we stand. Guide us, we pray in your name. Amen.